Welcome to a new episode of White Girl Haunted, a podcast about two incredibly atypical basic white girls who also love true crime and the paranormal. Be sure to follow us on social media. We will post pictures and links to our podcast so you can follow along to the story. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at White Girl Haunted and on Twitter at WG Haunted. Thanks for listening. Yeah, don't take your screen off because then I can't see shit. I didn't. Okay. Oh, it went blue. Oh, yeah. It, mine went blue, too. I think it's because you hit start record. Oh, okay. Okay. I was like, don't peace out on me. I need those visual cues. No. We're just two friends that don't know technology. Not a thing at all. Just two girls in Ontario needing tech support. What? No, I'll tell you that later. Oh, okay. off mic? Is that an off mic or is that a chit chat? No, I can tell it in the chit chat part. Okay, okay. Okay. So this week, uh, let me give you a little back- background story. Please. So I was scrolling through the old Facebook vids like everybody does these days. Mm-hmm. And I come across this video from something that I've, I've watched these guys before. Like it's, um, they have really good um, informational videos. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to pull up their their name um, so that I can tell you for sure like their exact name. So um, I follow them on Facebook. And technical difficulties are continuing to go with <laughs> uh, okay. We have a theme. <laughs> it's been a really technical, um, challenging day. Okay, so this is called the Infographics Show. Um, so they do, like, these these videos about all kinds of stuff. So definitely go in and follow them because they have some really cool, cool shit on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw a video come up like two weeks ago, um, and it's called Funeral Home Secrets They Don't Want You to Know. Oh. So I was like, I think I want to I wanna look at this. So I watched it, and when I was watching it, there's a lot of things that are accurate. Okay. A lot of things that I think that they've kind of embellished um, mm-hmm. just to make it really good and interesting and everything. But, I mean, yeah. they've had. 4.5 million views on this one video. Holy and like crap. their other videos like are usually like around like a million-ish kind of views. So whoa. Yeah. So I mean this this is definitely like a viral video. Um but I just thought that maybe I don't know, like I watched it and I thought, okay, like I'm going to I'm going to share all those myths too because people should know that kind of stuff. Like yeah. Like what's gonna happen to you when you when you die? But then, like I was as I was watching it, I was like, well, maybe we should correct some of those things instead. So that's why it just took me a little bit longer because I was going in one direction with mm-hmm. it. I didn't really like where I was going, so that's when I called upon Chris and I said, I, I need you to watch this video and I want you to like break down the facts and the fiction for me just so that I can have like the accurate information right yeah i cannot edit that out because i was talking that's fine for some reason facebook now gives me notifications i had them turned off but now it does so so i'm just going to 
um, just read out like some of the points that they talked about in the video so that when I refer to like the facts and fiction, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But I, will, I love this. I will link to this video in the podcast description mm-hmm. and I'll put it on our Facebook page so that cool. people can check it out. So the story that they have is about um, like a young person who died. So, um, you know, like when you die young or unexpectedly, um, quite often you're, you're sent for, um, oh shoot, what do we call that in Canada? Autopsy. Autopsy. Thank you. Autopsy, girl. I got you. I, I haven't been, you know, having this stuff in my life for the last 22 years, but whatever. Whatever. Autopsies are always in my life. <laughs> always. It's been a long day, so. Any hoosers. Um, yeah, so so typically, you know, like the coroner can say uh, this person needs to be autopsied just so that we can rule out the, or rule like the pop, proper cause of death. I mean, sometimes it can be obvious, like it's a snowmobile accident, but they'll send them anyways to see if there's like drugs or alcohol involved or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this talks about how literally a young person has died. They've been sent for an autopsy. Um, So they arrive at the hospital's pathology department. Um, The pathologist, uh, now it's going to start to get into, like, details. Like, like scientific details or just, like, gruesome? Like, some people might find them gruesome. Oh, spoiler alert. We're going to talk about guts, guys. Yes, guts. Stuff that does not bother me at all, but maybe might bother somebody else. Okay. Oh, so, chat. <laughs> so the doctor will saw into the abdomen from the pubic bone all the way up to the sternum. Um, and they cut it through to the ribs to expose the chest cavity. Um, and they just look for evidence of the postmortem exam um, just to see, you know, like if there's any damage to the organs or like internal bleeding or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. They can tell if you've been a smoker by how your lungs look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of stuff and they will um so they remove your organs one by one so that they can examine each of them um and they take them out in three blocks so there's the thoracic area first and they remove your lungs and your heart then they loosen the skin up to your chin to get at your tongue and throat but they don't leave visible marks because you know somebody's got to look at your body afterwards <clears throat> um and then they remove your liver, pancreas, stomach, and kidneys. And finally, they take out your bladder, bowels, and reproductive organs. The one thing that it didn't mention here, and something that Chris didn't mention either in his notes, Mm -hmm. I know at times they have removed the brain as well. Um, So, like, it does not talk about that at all. Uh, And I know what they do is they kind of do, like, a cut from ear to ear um, and take out that part of the skull. Mm -hmm. And they your skin forward towards your face and you take out your yeah. brain uh, so they can take pieces of it. But it doesn't talk about that here. Okay. Um, now that the body cavity is empty, the doctor turns her attention to the organs and examines each of them. Um, if they don't find any obvious damage, uh, they'll take samples to send away for analysis, including the toxicology screening. Um, once the samples are prepared by the doctor, um, your organs are removed to your body. So here's a fiction part. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is remove roughly where they belong back into the body cavity. So they'll roughly put like the lungs or the heart or where they belong. Yeah. Um, and then in a, like a bag or something. Well, that's part of my factor. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry. All good. Um, so they, they sew up your incisions um, and then they'll like, even like clean your body up and wash your hair and everything. Um, another thing too, that Chris didn't say, uh, in his factor fiction part, um, that I know that when they, when they sew up your body, um, they don't sew it up nicely. Like it's very loose. Um, when cool. they, do. all right. Uh, yeah. Um, and I should say too, that the infographic show is American based. So the information I have is Canadian based. It's not. Oh, okay. So some it's a little bit different. Can I ask you something? Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Oh, go ahead. And if you're going to go into that, just let me know. Why is it so loosely just because it's like, who cares? It's over. Or is there a reason behind that? Or they just don't have time. It doesn't need to be pretty because it's not like a scar is going to heal. Well, so, I mean, if, if they do it differently in the States where like, say for example, that they do just put them roughly back in and then they sew it up nicely. Mm -hmm. um, in the, here, like I know, like with Chris, um, because things do come in a bag. Um, yeah. So I will talk about the difference in the process. Okay. Um, the fiction part. Okay. All right. I, I do have a note on that. So it'll, it'll get, okay. it'll get addressed. Okay. Um, so once the, the doctor completes his final report, um, the body can then be released to the funeral home. Um, and then this talks about how like two attendants arrive at the hospital to pick up the body. And then it jokes about how, um, like they go through the guy's wallet and they take his Metro pass and he's like, Oh, it's 50 bucks. I'll get money for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that I'm probably going to say this a couple of times throughout this, but, um, typically people around here have a lot more respect for that. And I mean, we're also a lot more regulated with things too. So like we couldn't get away with that kind of stuff. Not me. Right. I'm just a new director, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, Chris, there's a, there's a fact or fiction part about that as well. Um, where Chris talks about like the process of how that's not even possible. Okay. Um, and then until there is, so then you go to the, the body goes to the funeral home. The body will probably sit on ice until, uh, uh, sorry. There's like a, do you, sound, do you hear like a white noise noise? Or is that just, yeah, I hear it a little bit. But it goes away when you talk. Okay. Because it's on mine, and mine has not done that before. So I don't know if maybe it's, like, overheating, and it's got, like, a little fan on or something. So I'm just going to lift it up a little bit. Hopefully that goes away. Okay. There's, like, white noise at the beginning or whenever. Tough shit. I'm not starting this pod over again. Listen, the, we did the last one like 18 times, everybody. Uh, we can't. You know, no. we're human beings. I've got charred meat to eat downstairs. I've got like 18 White Claws to drink. I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have anything to drink because my husband did not bring me any booze. 
Anyways. Feels like you're better, but moving on. I'm not better. No, no. I'm not drunk either, but whatever. That's that's a different story. <laughs> Who's so, keeping count? No? Okay, so um, nothing can happen to your body until the results of the postmortem come back. Um, typically here, that does not take very long. Um, maybe a day or so that it takes. Um, but then, you know, once that happens, then your death can be registered and the embalming process can start. Um, so this talks about how like the funeral director comes in with the embalmer. Um, so I'm just going to put like a little side note in there and that, uh, here in Ontario, the funeral director is the embalmer. So Hmm. like, like with Chris, he does everything. So wherever your body is, he will pick it up and basically he does everything until you are put in the ground or put in an urn. Like a real Renaissance man then when it comes to dead stuff. That's right. He's a real. The one-stop shop. Yeah. For everything funeral. He's your guy. You croak. He got, he got you from T to B, top to bottom. That's right. Oh, Chris. Okay. So there's the arrangements for the funeral um, and the public viewing. Um, So the public viewing is in two days. So they need the embalming done in time for the private family viewing the night before. Um, So they say, uh, he's like, the funeral director, did you tell him that embalming wasn't really necessarily since, you know, like they're going to be cremated anyways? Just as a side note, if you ever want to see somebody after they've had, after they've been dead longer than 12 hours or they've had any kind of postmortem work done on them, you want them involved because. Yeah, because it starts to set in, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like. The pooling of the blood. Yes. So basically what happens, and I mean, I could be, this is like just my general idea. So I could be a little bit wrong, but like when rigor mortis sets in, that's your body's trying to protect itself from decomposing. But once right. the recordist is gone, you're going to start de- to decompose. And depending on, you know, how you died, the elements, all that kind of stuff can play a part on how quickly you decompose. So, yes. So anyway, so. Lividity, uh, I think, is, is the term. Yes. Pooling of blood. <laughs> Thank you which is like a whole other thing that they have to do to get rid of that pooling of blood. But oh, I just shut up. Really? So if you, if you die on your face or if you die on your back, you're going to look bruised. Yeah. But that's basically just the blood pooling. If, it, yeah. if it's on your back, it's not, it's not that much of a big of a deal, right? Because nobody's going to see that. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, Chris had to pick up people where um, like it pools in their face. So they're, mm-hmm bruised so he has process and it's basically um like a bleaching process um so he has to put this um liquid i don't know what the liquid's called he has to saturate probably (laughs) it's an actual like a technical yeah yeah yeah, i know i know and uh sponsoring that's how you and i would do it it was like i just fucking pour some javax on it's fine no ventilation in that room. We're good. How's that steak cooking? <laughs> and uh, so they have to like basically bleach the skin to get rid of that. Oh, of course. I mean, that makes total sense. 
I didn't really think about that. Like, I know it from true crime for when, like, it helps them sort of analyze if a body's been moved. Like, if they find it and lividity is on, like, the the left-hand side, but they're on the right-hand side, then they know that probably the body has been moved because it just wouldn't settle. Like, gravity wouldn't allow it to settle there. But I didn't really think in, like, normal circumstances, sure, people fall down or people are sleeping and that could totally yeah hmm, interesting yeah. and that usually happens like if, if somebody dies in a nursing home and chris goes and gets the person right away there isn't usually that chance for a lot of that to happen like yes yeah yeah so they joke around saying that um um he's like he could keep him on ice until the viewing and then put a plastic suit under his clothes to manage this the the seepage so basically, they would say that they had to embalm him, um, charge them for the embalming, but not actually embalm them. And they would put like this plastic suit underneath them. Um, and so that's not something that they do around here. Okay. Um, but I'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, so anyways, so once they actually do it properly or whatever, um, the body is then cleaned thoroughly with a disinfectant spray. Um, rigor mortis could have set in. When rigor mortis sets in, like everything's stiff. Uh, so the body has to be massaged in order to manipulate it in any way. Right. Um, and then they will also do a small incision in the groin. Um, so the it doesn't say what it is, but the small incision in the groin is basically like your drainage hole. So, when so they, uh, as in life, as in death, that's your drainage so, hole. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then like, it doesn't say, it doesn't say anything here about another incision, but I think like, so Chris will raise the artery in the neck and that's where he'll stick in the embalming fluid. And then there's a hole in the groin and that's where it drains drains. So you have I, to flush first, right? Flush it all out? Well, the, the embalming fluid goes in, the blood comes out. Yeah, okay. And I used to always joke, because, like, you know, like, when you cook, like, poultry, and it's, like, not cooked until, like, the water runs clear? Yes. I always joke, and I'm like, it's not done until the water runs clear, but <laughs> until the fluid is clear. But that's not true either, because you don't want to over-embalm them, because, like, that can lead to other complications. Um, anyways, so they also put an incision, um, uh, under your rib cage and then they put in a metal suction tool called a trocar. So basically that's, um, I don't know if you ever heard the term like aspirating a dead body or anything, mm -hmm. but that's, that's the aspiration process. So it goes into like okay. your organs, like your bowels, everything that sucks out all like the fluid and gases and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, so the suction is airtight, so none of the fluid ever comes in contact with the embalmer, uh, which is good to know during COVID-19 days. Mm -hmm. uh, so once it's completely drained, um, and your fluids are saturated with, with the fluid, it mitigates any nasty smells. Now it's time to like prepare your duck body for viewing. Um, and so here's kind of like a factor fishing part as well. So it talks about um, drying your eyeballs 
and putting cotton in your nose and your throat Ew. to prevent like any smells leaking or anything. Um, and then they put like the plastic moon caps underneath your eyeballs. Aren't you so glad that I'm doing this? I love this so much. I'm morbid as shit. It's so fascinating to me. But I just think it's so funny, like, putting cotton balls is going to mask smell. It's like, okay, if I put a cotton ball in my ass, it's not going to mask the smell of a fart. It's ludicrous. As if cotton is going to, like, come on. That would be very dry and painful to get out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It would be like an aspirin, only instead of a headache, you just get shit. Um, so <laughs> I'm gonna sleep good tonight. So good. Um, so it says that they drive out your eyeballs is an important step um, because it says it can lead to liquid seeping from your eyes, which might look like tears to your just your loved ones. Um, and then they put in the plastic half moon caps that are placed in your eyelids to keep them from collapsing into your skulls, and it says that your eyelids are glued shut. Um, then they dress your body after another thorough cleaning. Um, they will put on an adult diaper for, for you so that there's no, like, leakage down there. Yeah. Um, and then they style your hair. They <clears throat> trim your nose and ear hair. And you get a makeup applied. Um, there's this part here that talks about, and I wasn't going to talk about it, but Chris did put it in his facts, about how... Like, you wheel the casket in, and one person is, like, in the casket waiting to scare, like, the apprentices and scares the shit out of them, like, when they open the casket, and they're like, ah! Chris has never done that, although he thinks it would be funny. I mean, fuck yeah, it would be funny. <laughs> That'd but be just, hilarious. Just don't do it. Wait, um, you've never done that in your life, like, when you guys lived in the funeral home or anything? Uh, no. Oh, you're way better people than I am. I 100% would have done that. Listen... You know Unless somebody I, bought it, like. You know I love scaring people, right? You, uh, yeah, I do. You psycho, yes. Yes, but I also do not like to laugh in the face of destiny and put myself <laughs> in a casket. Because I think karma will come around and say, "Oh, you like being in a casket? Hmm? I'll just put you in there permanently." You think it would it would like prematurely impact your death date? Yes. Okay. Not cool. Um, so anyways, so this guy is going to be cremated. He goes to the crematorium. The crematorium operator takes a numbered card from your casket. And one thing that Americans do is sometimes, well, I guess maybe Canadians do too, but sometimes they call it a coffin. So technically a casket is what you see at a funeral home. A coffin is what Dracula sleeps in. So... Sometimes you'll hear them talk about coffin, but it should actually be called a casket. So is a coffin what you would be cremated in then? No, a coffin is the kind of thing that Dracula would be in. It's strictly related to Dracula. Well, it's just the shape. Oh, a casket is rectangle. Coffin has that cool kind of like, okay, okay. Yeah, like frame and a cross kind of thing. So it's not synonymous. It depends on the shape in which of the box that you're going in. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, do do do. They turn on the large furnace, um, and I didn't look it up, and I should have done the conversion. So they talk about 750 degrees Celsius, but we go by Fahrenheit here, right? 
Yeah. By Celsius. No, we go by Celsius here. Okay. Well, then never mind. We're good. Um, so it has to be at 750 degrees Celsius for them to, for you to be cremated. Okay. Um, and they have to monitor like temperature emissions and the oxygen levels and all that kind of stuff. And another thing too is like all the crematoriums around here have to be regulated by Health Canada. So, um, you can't just throw up a crematorium. Like there has to be. There has to be like a really good filtration process and all that kind of stuff. And, so and you have to track it, right? Like there's a, a a system of like you couldn't be a serial killer and get approved by Health Canada to have a crematorium and just start burning your prey in there. Well, you have yeah, like you have to have a license and everything. Is there a way to track how many you've burned in there? I don't know. Um, I I know that. Uh, like with a lot, a lot of larger cities like Toronto or whatever, um, it's very digitalized. So where this talks about mm-hmm. like a card is placed, um, yeah. so that means that there's a card attached to that. Like there's like a barcode number attached. Um, okay. The crematoriums here don't have that. Okay. Uh, so they they don't they don't know. And um, just because of like health and safety purposes, when I when I person arrives at the crematorium to be cremated, the, cre- the cremator operator does not open up the box. So they don't know what's in there. They don't know. Who's oh. there. Um, just because they, they're not licensed to handle dead bodies in that way. Right. So. Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and that, so the, the cremation operator jokes about how he's glad that the family didn't cheap out on the coffin and go for one of those cardboard boxes. So sometimes mm. they people in those cardboard boxes um, mm. because the wood from the coffin burns first, which helps create perfect heat and burning environment for an efficient and even cremation. I mean, you don't want it cooked at one side and not cooked at the other. No, I mean, much like your steak, we want an even crisp all down. And that's why I was talking about charred meat. Oh, okay. There it is. There it is. There it is. Um, So then a 15-foot-long steel rig is used to push the remains through um, an opening in the bottom of the cremator and into a bin to cool. Um, So sometimes, too, is um, not everything burns. So um, like it kind of talks about it here that sometimes, like, screws won't burn or whatever, like if you've had, like, a knee replaced, especially, like, the older one um they don't burn so once you come out of the crematorium you have like all these nuts and bolts and stuff uh gold does not burn it'll burn down into like little black nuggets um and glasses so if a person has glasses on it can prevent like they don't they don't um they don't burn properly they don't melt properly so it can affect the skull melts as well because they can like melt to the skull and prevent part of the skull from being um cremated um, so they do have like a grinder. So after the remains cool, those parts that don't burn have to go through a grinder. Oh my god! Like steel metal balls in it, and it grinds down those pe- those extra pieces into like um, a fine mist. So that's usually like so if it's a young person, for example, their bones are a lot harder and stronger, so they don't always burn. Um, things like the hips, because they're bigger, they don't always burn. Um, in the skull or whatever. So you got to grind yeah. them down, just like Carol Baskin did in a grinder to her husband. 
Carol Baskin did not kill her husband. I think we both know she did, Bex. <laughs> I think we both know that she did. I feel like somebody needs to be on Carol Baskin's side. And I think who fucking cares if she killed her husband? She's not You're- Joe Dirt, who I'm glad is in prison. Listen, you can have two trash people in a documentary. It happens all the time. But I just think, I mean, that's not the the, the side of history you want to be on, is the defense of Carol Baskin. <laughs> and I sure. want you to really consider about that when you chew on your charred steak tonight and go to bed. I'll pretend it's Carol Baskin's husband when I'm chewing Because he's dead. Okay. So, here's just a little bit of facts and fiction. Yes, I love it. With my story. So... A fact is, um, so when I say fact, that means what they talked about in the story was true. Okay. So when you pass away young or unexpectedly, you will most likely have an autopsy performed. Um, and it's Chris who provided me with these factor fictions, like I said. Um, so pathologists do examine the body organs to check on weight and size to determine findings to establish a contributing cause of death. And then they also do the toxicology screening. Um, another fact is pathologists do make an incision from the pubic bone all the way up to the sternum, but ensure the incision does not exceed what families see when their loved one is displayed in a casket for a funeral. Mm-hmm. Fiction. Funeral homes do not cut corners with embalming. They do not dress and casket a body and place a sheet of plastic underneath to avoid seepage. Embalming is mandatory if viewing is to take place in a casket or when families ask for cremation. You can still be embalmed having a viewing and a funeral. Once the funeral has concluded, the body is then taken to the crematorium. The cremated remains are then returned to the family to keep or bury at a cemetery. Fiction, pathologists do not roughly put the internal organs back to where they originally came from, so like the heart and lungs and kidneys. So here, all internal organs are placed into a bag and placed into the chest cavity. So this is commonly known as the viscera bag. Mm-hmm. The scara bag. And yeah, so it's placed in the chest cavity and the breastplate um, that was originally cut is placed back where it belongs. So when I talk about like kind of like the loose or when you talk to or like the loose stitching, mm-hmm. uh, they actually have to embalm that bag. Because oh. have, so they have to have access to it. OK, gotcha. So the loose stitching comes from that to be able to get back in there. Embalm the giblets, basically. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and they're they're cut like a um like a Y. Yeah. Yeah. A Y on the chest. And I I only know that because I saw some dude had a tattoo of like autopsy cuts. And I this was many many years ago, and I was like, oh, that dude is really into Project Runway, (laughs) because I thought he was like. It's like making patterns of outfits, but it was autopsy. So yeah, there's that. They would definitely come in handy one day, especially if he got a newbie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so once the body is picked up the hospital, the belongings such as clothes, wallet, jewelry, keys are placed with the body. Funeral home staff do not take them from a wallet, such as money or gift cards for personal gain. When a body is claimed from a hospital, the funeral director receives the belongings in a bag that is labeled with the deceased names. The clothes are washed at the funeral home and returned to the family with the other belongings. The items that were with the deceased at the time of death are listed on a chart when they arrive at the hospital's pathology department or anywhere. So if Chris goes to like the Trent Memorial Hospital, there is a list 
like a recorded list of everything that was with that person. Right. Okay. So, so nothing could go missing. Right. Um, and then those items are, they're kept at a safe at the hospital until the funeral home gets there and funeral home staff have to sign for these items when the body's released. Oh, okay. So like there's accountability there. Like he can't yeah. just walk off of that. Okay. Um, so when we talk about the embalming, um, cleaning for the orifices, such as the eyes, mouth, and nose, are done prior to the start of the embalming process, whereas this video, it says it's done after. Um, when formaldehyde gets into the body, it firms everything up, making the opening to the mouth and eyes difficult to, like, move. And they use... Um, uh, Chris does not mention it here, but he did talk to me about the cotton... And he says he does put it up the nose, um, but it's not—it's not to prevent seepage. It's actually to prevent like flies and bugs getting up the nose. Oh, and like laying eggs and stuff up there. Yeah, like oh, you know, okay. Put in a casket. Yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. And he does put it in the mouth too. Um, and he does not. Uh, I think he said it somewhere. I guess not. Um, he does not glue the eyelid shut, but he does use the plastic caps inside. Oh, okay. Did um, they, did they, oh wait, I'll wait till you're done. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Um, so in the video, they show the use of two trocars, um, but they only use one, uh, in the embalming process. So in the trocar, again, is that metal suction tube that's used to like suck out the fluids and gases. Um, and fluids does not sleep from, Fluid does not seep from the eyelids after embalming. So this video had said that they it does seep from the the eyelids mm-hmm. um, because they're cleaned prior to the embalming. Um, so there's no there's no seepage. And uh, he said, side note, nobody hides in a casket to scare an apprentice, even though it's funny. And, <laughs> I mean, Chris is a pretty stereotypical funeral director, so. He would never do that kind of stuff. Um, and the last fact is all jewelry is removed prior to being cremated, especially a pacemaker. Um, if a pacemaker were left in by accident, it could cause a mini explosion, causing harm to the cremator operator and damage oh. to the crematorium. Oh um, you can cremate pictures and non-explosive devices, and then glasses are not cremated as well because they don't melt properly. So, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, all pacemakers have to be removed. Um, I know sometimes it's supposed to, like, here it's supposed to be removed by the hospital, but sometimes it doesn't. Um, So, like, somebody at the funeral home has to take it, and if you don't do it properly, then you could be zapped by the pacemaker. Yeah. Yeah, so. Anyways, so that was kind of my rundown of that video that took a different turn than what I thought it was going to do. I love it. That was so good. Do they, wait, do they, um, sew up the mouth? Do they sew the mouth? Um, yes and no. Like, I think, um, like if there are issues with, uh, the mouth closing, like I'm a mouth breather. So if I go to have visitation, there ain't no way my mouth is staying shut. When mm-hmm. I don't. Um, mm-hmm. So they do have a process. Um, and I'm trying to think because it's been so long since Chris told me. But I feel like they use like a curved needle that goes up through the chin. 
and it goes up and then it comes out through the nose and they kind of tie it at both ends but I could be wrong with that because it's been a long time since oh, okay. uh, you told me that but I know like in like some older movies you can see like the, the stitches in the lips okay. yeah. yeah I don't think that they do that I think I know okay. that there is times where glue has been used too um, okay because, like, as a side note, when I break shit it here, I'll say to Chris, you need to get some embalming glue on that because it needs some, like, good, strong bond glue. It's better than Gorilla Glue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. L- listen, Gorilla Glue glue has nothing on, um, has nothing on, uh. Embalming glue? Yes. Sorry. Um. Chris Uh-oh. is in the bathroom, and I don't know if you can hear that. No. Um, so the bathroom is on the other side of the office that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And the shower pipes are, like, right beside my computer in the wall. Yeah. And he's in there running the water. No, I can't hear it. Okay. I can't. <laughs> I don't know if people, like, on the recording can, but I can't. Yeah, I don't want that to be on the recording. It's already got, like, a white noise thing here. That white noise is just going to put people to sleep in this episode. That's it. That's fine. That's fine. It's better that than our voices putting them to sleep, you know? Bex, that was so good. I'm always fascinated by that stuff. Autopsies are super fascinating to me. I There used to be a show, and I tried to look it up when you were talking, but I don't think I'm looking up the right one. But it was a show, and I believe it was HBO, and... It was an active live autopsy that you were watching. So they like they drilled open the head. They did all the chest cavity like it was a live cadaver. And it was somebody who had donated their body to do this. And it was sort of this black room and the cameras were kind of hidden around sort of like Big Brother, but not like mirrors and stuff, just so they were kind of subtle and you couldn't really see them. And then there was two small sets of bleachers, kind of like a that old school yeah. surgical room around this this pathologist I guess doing the autopsy and it had said in the the like credits right before the show something to the effect that it was like the friends and the family of that person I believe that were in the audience but it was and it's very graphic I mean you hear the drill you see them you know he'll talk about like the different um you know how you drill and the different views of the head and the, the body and it was really graphic, but really, really interesting. And that's what your your story made me think of. So if you find that show, let us know. Because I would like to... I'm, I believe it was HBO, but... Sounds like an HBO thing. Yeah. I know that when um, when Chris was in school uh, for funeral director services, um, or funeral services, sorry, uh, he got to wit- witness an autopsy. Uh, so he went to mm. university um, mm. to watch that. And so the room... I believe was like that too, because it's a teaching hospital. Yeah. Um, but most, I think most embalming rooms uh, in the States are like that uh, because people can watch uh, the autopsies. Um, oh, okay. Canada again is a little different. Like we, we just do things differently. Yeah. Well, it's a different British. So we didn't abandon our queen Bex. All hail the queen. Um, so like this is chit chat middle. Yes. Right? 
So yeah. I wanted to, do you mind if I jump in? Yeah. On this? So last, I think it was our last episode. Um, we did the Kathleen McVicker mm-hmm. um, unsolved murder. And uh, shortly after we posted about it on our Facebook page, we had got a comment from one of her old friends from Nova Scotia and her name was Candace. So I wanted to talk about this um, and, and just kind of bring this to light because she did give us some more information about Kathleen that wasn't really readily available. So she had said that um, she always wondered why nobody had done a podcast about Kathleen. Um, and so she had just, she'll randomly, I guess, search the internet for her name to see what would come up. And that's how she came across our podcast, which is really, really cool. Um, so I messaged her and I said, you know, thank you so much for commenting and, and just, you know, gave her our condolences and asked her a little bit about Kathleen. And she was really kind and and said that um, um, she said that she, Kathleen was a year or two old, older than her, um, Candace, and she described Kathleen as being funny, dainty, boy crazy. And she put smart in all capitals. And she said, I remember the last time I saw her, we were at the mall in Sydney, Nova Scotia, and she was telling us um, she was going to Ontario. Um, she said she went to the drive-in theater a lot with her, and it was a cool place to hang out at night, hang out all night and meet boys. And then she put in brackets, she was the one with the car. Um, she said she remembers her wake, and it was nice. And she remembers that there, I guess there was a lot of cops there and everyone, and they were watching everyone at her wake. I guess suspicious, thinking that somebody who did it would come to the wake. Um, she said that she thinks of her often, especially going to Tim Hortons and passing the drive-in. And she had said when they caught Russell Williams, which we had mentioned in, in that episode, that she had really hoped that there would be some kind of conclusion as a result of that. Um, so it was kind of a bummer that that didn't happen. And then she also gave us some suggestions and I'm not, I'm not going to say the names cause I'm going to look into them, but she gave us a s- suggestions for future episodes, which God bless Candace. Thank you so much. Um, and she just wanted to say thank you so much for keeping um, Kathleen's name alive. So thank you, Candace. Um, that was really kind. And, and I'm so glad that we were, Oh, she also described her as a firecracker, which I thought was really funny. And Candace is still um, down east in Nova Scotia. So thank you very much um, for shedding some light on Kathleen, some information that we didn't have. That's the kind of stuff I was hoping to have for the episode, but just couldn't really find it online. So, yeah, that was more about Kathleen. Yeah, that was really cool that she reached out or that you like initiated that conversation. Well, she did the post, right? Yeah, totally. She commented on the post. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really cool. Like, it's not even... You know, it's not like our podcast has a broad reach of listeners, but I mean, to even just to have like that one person listen and was like impacted by it, then that's awesome. Yeah, it was so, so cool. And uh, yeah, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Candice. Yeah. I thought I was going to sneeze there. I was like, no. I was wondering what you're doing. I hate that. What? I was going to say, too bad we couldn't record the video and post this so people could see our dumb faces throughout. Not your dumb face, my dumb face. I shouldn't say that. Well, we do. I do record it. So, I mean, it doesn't actually record the, like, just the audio. It records the whole video. And the program that I use rips the the voice from the video. Oh, let's just say we can't get the video, you know? What are you talking about? I said that out loud, and I was like, I'm looking at my face right now. I'm like, ah, nah, that's fine. That's okay. Uh, so, so 
maybe we could use this opportunity to like give a little shout out to Jen Casey. Yes, sure, yeah. for sure. I just, um, it's bothering me more than it should. <laughs> like, it's I don't tragic. know why. I, I know. It's really, I know. really sad what happened. I mean, I haven't talked to her in like three or four years. Like, I remember talking to her like after Charlotte was born and she was like, your kid's so cute. Of course, obviously, everybody says that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like on Facebook last week, like she was posting pictures of herself and the snowbirds and um, she'd gotten like a coin and she posted that picture. And then I don't know. And then it was stupid. Sorry, go ahead. Do you want to give some like uh kind of background to who we're talking about for people that don't know? Oh, yeah, that would be smart. <laughs> uh, so recently, the Snowbirds have been flying across um, Canada for Operation Inspiration. Yeah. It was called. Here's the thing is, you know, I'm totally bitching about those Snowbirds, so I didn't pay much attention to it. <laughs> and I'm like, you're making people come out of their houses. We're supposed to be socially isolating and whatever. So, um, basically on the last leg of their trip, cause I think they started out east and they yeah. were ending in British Columbia. Um, so some issues happened, uh, with one of the planes shortly after takeoff and, um, the pilot and Jen were both, um, uh, they, they ejected themselves from the plane. Um, mm-hmm. so the pilot survived. Uh, but Jen did not. Um, so she was a captain in the um, CAF, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, so Canadian Air Force, yeah. Canadian, yeah. So we met her through um, the Quinty Sports and Social Club. Um, so we played sports, like we played dodgeball and kickball, and um, I don't know what else we did. I think floor hockey. I don't know if you played floor hockey, but basically it's like this, this rec league for adults. They call it recess for adults. So they have all these sort of sports that you play dodgeball, indoor soccer, um, uh, volleyball. And, um, and they had, yeah. So she was one of the, the coaches. She was our coach for our team, um, for kickball. Yes. Yeah. Right. For the first, it was the first season. Yes. And then like we would, she did dodgeball too. Her and her yeah. Mike. So yeah. And then we would all go out and like drink afterwards. And then I had a kid and I was no longer any fun. So Boo. the last, the last thing that we, that Chris and I participated in was, um, softball. I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. Softball. And I was, Oh yeah. With Danny and Sonia. Yeah. Yeah. Is that with Danny and Sonia? Like, yeah. When yeah. they met. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I haven't done any of that. Anyway, sorry, Jen, Jen was a part of that. Yeah. Kind of, so she, that's how we know Jen, or knew Jen, I, I suppose. I'll give a shout out to her, because she just died on, so today's the 20th, so three days ago. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry to Jen's friends and family, and to, um, yeah, everybody she knew, and the the Air Force. It's incredibly tragic that she... She died in an operation that was supposed to provide inspiration to the entire country amidst COVID. And for this to happen is just awful. I mean, there's no words to say how truly, truly awful it is. So I'm sorry and rest in peace, Jen. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So, enough with that. Have, did you watch Dead to Me the last season? Have you watched either one of them? I've watched, I think, a couple of episodes of season one. <laughs> I know. I'm, oh, I can't even say that because it's a spoiler alert. So it's probably like the first two episodes. So no, dude, I have not watched. Why not? Because I have to watch The Office for the 18th time. I don't have time for this. I got to watch Superstore again. I got to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine for the 20th time. I don't have time for new shows. I wanna watch it's on my list. I want to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I want to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I said that just three times now. I want to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> the white noise covered it up. You, it is very funny. You, you will. I think you will enjoy it. It's, It has kind of happy endings-esque mojo. And they, they tried to cancel it one time, and then... They did cancel it. Fox canceled it, and then... Was it Fox? And then it was picked up by another... Uh, another station? Fox. Yeah, NBC, I think, picked it up, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. it 100% was. It's it's. I don't know why. It was a good show. I will I will let you know if it's a good show. I like um oh, what's his name? Uh Andy Sandberg? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I have yeah. Eisenberg in my head. Um Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like him and I mean he plays Drax's son in law in the Post <laughs> Pennsylvania movies. Hello. Of course. of course. And then he plays um he plays Adam Sandler's son in that movie. Oh, I can't remember what it was. And then one of them has like new kids on the block tattooed on their back. Yeah. Uh, it's about, well, Sandler, it's kind of like the um, Letourneau-esque thing where she marries the the student, right? That's the theme. Uh-huh. And then the product of that union is Andy Samberg. Yeah. Daddy's boy? Daddy's boy? Maybe. I don't know. It's another Adam Sandler classic. That's that's all there is. Yeah. Okay. Listen. Yeah. That's all the chit chat I've got. I have no other chit chat. Um. Do you want me to get into it? Yeah. Let's uh. Let's. Oh. Wait a minute. What's up? I just got a message. Oh my god. Hot goss. Straight off the presses, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? Listen. Oh my god. Okay. I ordered from Toronto from a place called Sweet Fluff. And I ordered it like almost two months ago. No, no. There's no dildos involved, I promise. Okay. Um, anyways, I ordered almost two, two weeks ago, but because of like everything's so fucking slow with COVID, Mm -hmm. um, it says it expected the end of today. I doubt it's going to happen because they have until like eight o'clock to deliver and it's like seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. It is a cotton candy cake. Oh, <gasps> shut the front door. Yeah. So Chris and Charlotte don't know about it. So, and it's going to be a surprise for them. Um, they're on Instagram. So go check them out. Um, Say that again. Who was it? Sweet fluff. Sweet fluff. Yeah. And it's, um, let me look up their, um, Instagram, uh, name here so that it, cause I feel like, 
it's spelt funny. Oh yeah, so it's there's a fluff is spelt F L U F F E. Ooh. So fancy. it's at, yeah, it's at sweet fluff. And um yeah, so go check out their cakes. Like I got to pick the colors that I wanted, the flavors that I wanted. Um so it'll come and it'll be delivered. And I was talking to the person that does it and she's like, I've even sent my cakes all the way to Hawaii. So, Whoa, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, popped, right. yeah, it just popped up on my screen, giving me like a delivery notification. So. Ooh, congratulations. I can't wait to uh, see an Instagram post of that. Yeah. I'll do like a unboxing video. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of sweet fluff. Oh, no, not at all. I ah. just wanted to have a segue, but not at all. Okay. I Mine's going to be really short. I say that every time, and then it ends up being two hours, but I think it will be. Um, I'm doing nyctophobia. You heard of that before? Nyctophobia? Is that people who are afraid of people named Nicholas? Yes. That's exactly <sighs> what it is. I think I have that. Yeah. Well, I if you have two first names, as you know. Yeah. Not a fan. No, nyctophobia, also called non-clinical terminologies, ligophobia, scotophobia, and achulophobia, also known as fear of the dark. Ooh. Which I thought was kind of apt for our pod. Yeah. So I stole all of my information from uh, the Cut.com article by Carrie Rom, and a Time article by Alexandra Sifferline, and a Glamour.com article by Corinne Miller. So fear of the dark is one of the most common fears alongside such heavy hitters as public speaking, spiders. Um, it typically develops in childhood and lasts through adulthood. Now, I tried to find research about people becoming scared of the dark in adulthood, and I couldn't find it, but I have to think... It probably does happen. Um, I would suspect it comes as a result of like trauma, maybe that they suffered as an adult. So it becomes like a symptom of that, you know. Um, so the phobia technically develops once the anxiety of the target reaches a threshold. So I think we can all have sort of minimal amounts of fear of the dark. But the actual phobia is when it becomes so high that anxiety that it provokes, you get sort of the, the classic phobia. Um, what makes it unique is a lot of us don't grow out of it. So it's a fear that appears to be more innate and evolutionary versus developed based on a specific life experience. So that would be, um, you know, if, if I was bit by a dog or a spider, then I would become in that, after that kind of experience, scared of the dog, um, where when it talks about it being innate or evolutionary, there's an evolutionary component to it because it's safe to be scared of the unknown, right? It's safer to fear the dark in some way because the dark could hold a lot of threats. Um, and if we're more careful around that, we're safer, we're more likely to survive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this, this didn't come out of the articles that I talked about. It came out actually a textbook that I taught uh, last year and it talked about um, research shows that we actually condition to things um, more quickly that are higher risk to us. So we're going to be conditioned to be scared of things like spiders or snakes quicker. Spiders suck. Versus, they totally do. Yeah. 
versus a flower. Like I think, you know, a couple of times quicker for that. So I, I, I think that sort of the dark would fall to the former, the spiders and the snakes. Um, so for children, it comes as a fear of the unexpected, which I think would be consistent for adults as well. You know, a fear of the unknown. Um, for kids, they think about the boogeyman or robbers breaking in and stealing their toys. For adults, you know, we fear people, at, at least in my experience, you know, Russell Williams or Paul Bernardo, those kind of people kind of coming in. Um, I don't really scare, fear ghosts or the boogeyman. I fear like real people doing bad things. Um, in a 2012 study of the British Psychological Society or from the British Psychological Society, they found that 40% of adult respondents were afraid to walk around in their house with the lights off. Uh, 10% wouldn't leave their bed at night to go to the bathroom. So, I mean, almost half were afraid to walk around in their house with their lights off, which I, I totally am. I totally am. I remember being a kid being terrified of like shutting the lights off in the basement and then having to run up the stairs. Uh-huh. You know, because you think that somebody's running after you, you know, and I do have that fear now. Like, go, yeah. I, I don't, I don't run fast because I can't anymore. <laughs> but like, I have that thought in my back of my mind, and there's definitely like, um, like an urge to go quicker up the stairs for sure, for like, the basement. I feel it like in my back. Like as soon as the lights go out, like somebody's staring at my back, and I'm like, ah, oh, really? Sarah's like, bitch, you scared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Charlotte's afraid of the dark, so I have to have, like, lights on at night. That's a real shame. It's a real shame. Well, and you know what? I was thinking about this a lot because I wouldn't say that I'm scared of the dark consistently, but I have moments where I am, and I think it depends on, like, where my mind's at. If I'm listening to something really scary and I kind of let it sit in my psyche for a while, then I very easily can become really nervous about being in the dark. And there's been like a few times in my adult life in the last, you know, 15, 20 years where I did turn the light back on because I was like, uh, especially living alone, I think more than, than now. Um, you just kind of like, I got in my head about it. So it's not consistent. It kind of comes and goes depending on what's going on. It just creeps you out. Yeah. My, my mind, your mind, and I get to that in a minute. Like your mind really is a powerful tool when it comes to that. So in a small study from Ryerson University in Toronto, around 50, 50% of those who identified as poor sleepers said they were scared of the dark, um, compared to only 25% of those who identified as good sleepers. So a correlation between being afraid of the dark and poor, poor sleep or insomnia, right? There's a link there for, for, um, of some kind. Doesn't mean causation, but there's certainly a link of some kind. Um, they also found that, that, um, people may not even identify that they're scared of the dark. So in that same Ryerson University study, people might not know that they're scared of the dark or to, to be able to kind of identify that that's what's happening. So they may skip that and instead think they're scared of what their mind wanders to once it's dark. So I might think, well, I'm really scared that, you know, somebody's going to break into my house and kill me. And I'm scared of that happening when really it's it's that initial thing of like the dark being there and the dark being present. But we don't, as adults especially, don't identify that necessarily. Like we're not able to do that. 
Um, another thing that a researcher had talked about is, is darkness impairs our vision and it's really uncomfortable when we can't see, right? It, 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 it's very foreign to us that aren't, you know, that don't have, um, um, seeing issues or vision issues. So it's, it's really, really uncomfortable for us. Um, estimated that 11% of the United States adults are afraid of the dark, making it more common than fear of heights, which I thought was really, really, really interesting. Um, I would think I couldn't find really Canadian numbers outside that Ryerson University study, which I think was mostly students. So it's a skewed in that way. But typically for mental health stuff, we're kind of um, pretty matchy with the U.S. They might be a little bit higher, but you can estimate that probably Canada would be in and around that 10 or 11 percent mark. Um, and I, I just said, you know, it really speaks to the creativity of the mind. So once it's dark, whatever your mind can kind of conjure up um, is what you fear. So you really are your own worst or best enemy in that in that situation. Um, now, there's also a value that speaks to that sort of evolutionary component, too. There's value in being scared, right? If you're being scared to walk down an alley, you know, two things can kind of happen here. We can be scared and it allows us to sharpen our self-protection skills. So be a little bit more hypervigilant around, you know, what's going on, what's hiding behind that dumpster and be able to self-protect ourselves. Or it can also have us avoid walking down that dark alley altogether. So we can choose not to, to go there. So there's, there's value in that kind of thinking process. Um, and then I just really quickly went into like symptoms and diagnosis. So um, I think I got this from very well mind um, symptoms of nyctophobia vary from person to person, according to the severity of a particular case and general symptoms of nyctophobia include becoming nervous in any darkened environment. So whether that's your house, your room, you know, if you're in the mall and the lights go out um, and need to sleep with a nightlight, being reluctant to go out at night, experiencing physiological symptoms, including an increased heart rate, sweating, visible shaking, and even feeling ill. So like nausea, headaches and diarrhea are common. Um, symptoms of more severe cases of nyctophobia include attempting to run away from dark rooms, compulsively staying indoors at night, becoming angry or defensive if anyone tries to encourage you to spend time in the dark. So that's where, you know, it, it's a little bit more debilitating for the person. It impacts maybe jobs if they work midnight shifts or relationships, you know, being able to go out and engage in those in those relationships. In terms of treatment, it's for all phobias, one of the best um, things that we can do is exposure therapy. And I think if I had a choice of of having any of the mental health issues, I would probably choose a phobia um, because they tend to be treated um, really um, at high rates with exposure therapy, you know, like 80 percent, 90 percent or above tend to be treated and it tends to last like you extinguish that conditioning piece and it tends to really stay and be prolonged that like that, I guess, remission in some way. So you would do small exposures. So maybe talking about the dark, um, looking at a dark room and then incrementally you would work up to being in a dark room. If you go on YouTube, you can see these videos with you know, snakes and spiders and clowns is another big one. And so it's just that really um, small baby stepped up into being in that room. And that's it. That's my my little story today. Interesting. 
quick and dirty, buddy. That was. I thought mine was going to be quick and dirty, but it ended up being longer. Okay, <laughs> it was good. Um, yeah, like I totally have a fear of actually of dead bodies, so I do not want right. like exposure therapy to that. I'm good. I'm good with my fear. I do not need to get rid of it. I'm well, good. and it, yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be debilitating to you. You're stable, still able to live your life. Yeah. I mean, even with Chris doing what he does, it's not like the Christmas party is amongst dead bodies, you know, like it really wouldn't affect you in that way. No, Just no. Funerals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't have to be around them. I mean, if it's a loved one, it's not it's not as bad. But if it's like I, I remember when we lived in the funeral home um, years ago and there was like this tragic accident and these four girls all died. So they they were in a car that do you know about this? And then yeah. they got by a truck. Mm-hmm. So Chris had to go and get them and bring them back to the funeral home. And I was like, you need to make sure that every door between us and them is locked. Like I could not sleep. I was, and I think it's just the more tragic it is, I guess maybe that it, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, is there really a reason to be afraid of a dead body? No. They ain't going to hurt me. Unless it's a zombie apocalypse in which. Then you dead, girl. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. and uh, But, like, I mean, a lot of that makes sense, too, because, you know, Charlotte is really afraid of the dark. And, I mean, she has reason to be because she's seen things. Um, mm-hmm. And she doesn't sleep. Mm-hmm. So, that's why we have to keep, like, there's lights on in her room. There's lights on in the hallway. Um, she always comes into our room, so we have, like, a nightlight in our room. Well, and when I say nightlights, I mean, like, scentsies. Yeah. They have a good light, and it smells pretty. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so we, like, she's she's really afraid of the dark, so. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, totally. I think it can be, I think it can be learned. I think it can be, um... I don't know, but it seems to be almost universal with kids that they, at some point, something happens and they're scared of the dark. Well, I mean, their imagination is way more intense than ours, right? Totally. Yeah. um, And as you get older, you have that ability to rationalize things like, oh, that's not a man standing in the corner. That's like my shirt hanging on the back of the door that looks like a man. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have that thought process where I think little kids just don't. And um, we can talk ourselves out of being scared more than I think a little kid can. No, I mean, if it's an actual, like, mental illness kind of fear, that's obviously different. Yeah, Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I've suffered through panic attacks, and I know that it's hard to, like, bring yourself down from those without medication. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think. But it's funny that it goes, it skews negative and nightmarish with their imagination as powerful as it is versus positive you know mm-hmm. it's it's interesting that it goes that way yeah like oh that's not a flower standing in the corner that's like a man who's gonna eat me yeah yeah <laughs> you know well I guess if they have the fear of the dark then they automatic like like when when I suffered like with a lot of like panic attacks and everything um, 
when you're in that scared mode, you automatically go to the worst case scenario. Yeah, totally. So even as an adult, you go to that worst case scenario. So you're having a panic attack. You're like, I'm going to die. This is not going to be the same, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, I'm trapped, you know, whatever, like whatever the reason for the panic attack, right? Like, so, I mean, as a kid, I mean, when you're in that state of fear, uh, you can't really rationalize yourself out of it, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Wild times, buddy. Wild times. Well, I'm afraid of the dark, so. Well, good company because 11% of the U.S. is. Listen. Mm -hmm. I'm not as afraid of my house, but like outside, um, outside in the dark is way scarier. Mm -hmm. Way scarier, especially if you're like out in the country or something. So like, Yeah. yeah, like if we're at our family farm or something and we're staying the night and I forget something in the car, I don't care. It can stay in the car until morning. I am not going out there. <laughs> it's just so funny. Like, as in, as me right now, I, I may feel that nervousness. But as a teenager growing up in, like, the middle of nowhere, surrounded by, like, fields and woods, we walked the back roads drinking as teenagers all the time and not a, a sense of fear. Very, yeah, interesting how it works. A lot of teenagers, though, have, like, the... Uh, I'm immortal, kind of. Yeah, you don't think it's going to happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get old and fat, and you realize, guess what? It can happen to you, too. You're like, Shh, I can't fucking run up these stairs. I'm going <laughs> to die. I'm going to die today. With somebody yeah. down the I remember being, like, 140 pounds, thinking, oh, I'm so fat. No. No 16-year-old <laughs> self. You were not. <laughs> you were not. You were beautiful. Yeah. You still are, buddy. Yeah. Well, dude, that was awesome. This is it. This is another pod in the books. Yeah. F7. Loved your story. Gave me some food for thought, too, with Charlotte. Like, Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're just like, oh, fucking get over it and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gives you some insight, right? So, no, that was really good. Thanks. Cool. For that. Yeah, yours was awesome. Yeah. Love it. Okay. All right, pal. Well, God bless. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. All right. Well, I guess. Thanks, we'll- everybody. Yeah. And uh, catch you on the flip side. Catch you on the flippity flip. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And guys, we want to hear from you with your stories so we can talk about them on the podcast. Send your stories to whitegirlhaunted at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at whitegirlhaunted, on Twitter at wghaunted, and again, our email is whitegirlhaunted at gmail.com. Until next time, bye! Daddy, you're an asshole.